hey, before we get started with today's episode, we want to say thank you to everyone who's helping to grow our podcast. Please keep sharing with your friends and follow Crime Off the Grid on Facebook and at Crime Off the Grid Podcast on Instagram. Hey there. If you like true crime stories and you love being in the great outdoors, you have come to the right place. I'm Tara, your host. Welcome to Crime Off the Grid, Ranger Tales Edition. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Crime Off the Grid podcast. And we have back with us again, Abby. Hi, Abby. Hi, Tara. (laughs) I love it when you and I get to talk about cases because we're going to do it all the time anyway. So we might as well just do it on the podcast. That that's about right. Yep, we do talk about it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) We weird all of our friends out with our true crime, and then we're always looking for bodies in the woods. So that's true. That's that's kind of true. Well, um, so while we're recording this, it's actually spooky season. Which is, you know, of course, my favorite time of year. But I, I draw the line at pumpkin spice lattes. I don't, I don't go for that. Can't do that. That's not spooky. That's not spooky. But, but I, I don't really feel like any of my friends appreciate the season the same way that I do, including you. I know. I try. I, I don't think you do. I mean, I love to scare and get <laughs> scared. Uh, I don't want really be scared for my life, you know. But I, I don't think you appreciate it. But I. I I thank you for participating in activities with me anyway. But I like finding costumes. Okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, but yours aren't scary. And getting, okay. I like candy. No. That's true. No, yeah. they're silly. But <laughs> Well, uh, so since it's, since it's spooky season, I was just wanted to ask you, out of all the wild places that you've worked in or visited, have you ever personally experienced something that really you just couldn't explain or could not be explained? Uh, I mean, I work with people, so I feel like there's a lot of that, but that's probably not what you mean. There's a lot of things you can't explain. No, no, no. Like something, you know, something kind of spooky, you know, on the trail or overnight in the backcountry. Oh, you know what? This, I think I actually did explain it later, but at the time I could not. And it took me years to figure out what it was. Um, but when I was a kid, we used to sleep outside on this open air second story porch. And one night we heard this blood curdling screaming <laughs> and our closest neighbor was a mile away. And oh. in our like logical kid minds, we thought somebody was murdering a goat in our yard. Oh, and of course, that's a weird thing. We didn't Did think you have to- goats? Uh, no, 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 but we couldn't tell what it was. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know what. They and of course, be. I'm being good. Like preteens, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't call our. We didn't call our parents. You know, we just like sat there and listened to this blood curdling screaming. And then years later, I realized it was a cougar. Oh my god! Well, <laughs> that's scary too. But um, I think it's but it scared us pretty to, bad. You probably. Was that during the time of satanic panic? Do you remember? Was that no? I was. Panic? I mean, it might have. No, it was like right around Y two K. Oh, I mean, we didn't have neighbors, so there was really so no we, reason for 
anything to be dying in our yard. Well, especially a goat when you didn't even have goats. I know. I don't know why we thought goats, but that's what we thought. <laughs> well, well, I do have a story that happened at the Old Faithful Inn in Yellowstone. And Yellowstone okay, I want to hear it. Well, it, it, it's it's a long story. It might be a whole other episode, but uh, the Old Faithful Inn is a place that's well known for its ghost stories, but mine's different from those ghost stories that you could probably look up. Um, so it's too long of a story, so I can maybe record it separately, or I'll tell you later. But you just all of that to not tell us the story. <laughs> How about we do it another? We do it another episode. Okay, all right. Now it's like you piqued all of our curiosity. Exactly. Well, that's you know that's called advertising. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today, Tara? Well, today it's actually more of a serious story. And it takes place in Everglades National Park. So know, that place in Florida. That place in Florida. But why is Everglades even a national park? I don't know, Tara. Why is it a national park? Well, you could probably think hard enough and figure it out. But it's the largest. Does it have Everglades? I don't know what an Everglade is. I don't know. Isn't it just a really long glade? <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> What's a I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it just a big grassy area? Well, it is the largest subtropical wilderness in the entire United States. It was established in 1947 and has mostly stemmed from its unique ecosystem. It has endless marshes, dense mangroves, towering palms, alligator holes, and tropical fauna, according to the National Park Service website. Everglades National Parks protects unparalleled landscape that provides important habitat for numerous rare and endangered species like the manatee, which I want to see so bad, the American crocodile, and the elusive Florida panther. Ooh. Yeah. But I can guarantee I wouldn't have survived working in Everglades because of the mosquitoes since they eat me alive. And the heat. And the heat and humidity. I, I don't do well. But people would assume that I do meth because I have... Uh, mosquito bites that I scratch until I bleed. So I have <laughs> all over my arms and legs that I continue to scratch until they bleed. All right, let's get started with our case. On Sunday, March 28th, 2021, a woman was being violently dragged by her hair into the woods of the Everglades. And she was able to escape from what she believed was going to be her death at the hands of her abusive husband. So she manages to escape and get to the road and flags down a car, and then the people who stopped for her called for help. So park rangers responded to the call of a domestic violence incident at a place called Mahogany Hammock Area. And the National Park Service website describes this as a, a self-guiding boardwalk trail that meanders through dense jungle-like hardwood hammock. Name one boardwalk that's not self-guided. I don't understand that phrase. Oh. Well, it's not guided. Or does it have little signs? I'm sure it's got signs because that means it's guiding okay. you and telling you stuff. Um, so okay. it's giving you information probably about the lush vegetation, including gumbo limbo trees, air plants. I had to look up both of those. And the largest living mahogany tree. Now I can figure that one out. And the website also says that the remoteness of that parking area makes it an excellent location for stargazing and to spot the space station. So I think it's pretty remote and pretty dark. It sounds like a cool area. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. 
So when the rangers arrived, the suspect had left the scene in his vehicle. So the responding rangers assisted the woman who was the victim and began trying to provide her medical care as EMTs because there were some obvious injuries, but she declined any medical assistance. One ranger transported her to a hotel so she could be in a safe place for the night while they continued to look for the suspect. So the victim, and we're just going to give her a name. We're going to call her Christy, and that's not her name, but we're not going to identify her in this uh, incident anyway. So Christy provided the rangers with some information. And Abby, if you're the responding ranger, what's the first thing you want to find out about the suspect? Uh, you want to know if they're armed. Ding, ding, ding. And yes, and where they are, but yeah, mostly if they're armed. Yeah, so she told the ranger that her husband, Drew Curtis Sykes, did in fact have weapons, including an AK-47. And she provided the description of the vehicle and other information. So, for another 100 points, Abby, what kind of vehicle do you think he's driving? Uh, it's got to be a white van with blacked out windows. I don't know about the blacked out windows, but ding, ding, ding for 100 points. You got, okay. white, you got the white <laughs> van. <clears throat> Definitely. Creeper it's van. A good, it's a good Halloween time creeper van. Yeah. Yeah. She went on to tell the rangers that he had been holding her hostage for four days. And he had been violently assaulting her, including striking her in the face, besides dragging her in the woods, and that he was going to kill her. She also told Rangers that she had just bailed him out of jail for another assault on her in Miami-Dade County. In that incident, which just happened on March 9th, this is just a couple of weeks before, he was arrested for aggravated assault with a weapon. And for another hundred points, Abby, what was the weapon do you think he was assaulting her with? Probably an AK-47. An AK-47, yeah. Um, so I know what you're thinking, probably. Why in the world would she even bail him out of jail? So we're, we're going to get to that, actually. It's a good thing to talk about. Yeah. Well, when the ranger and Christy got to the hotel, she didn't have any identification on her. So it was really hard to get her checked in. And that's not untypical in domestic violence relationships where the victim is not even allowed control over their own papers or their ID or anything. But after some effort, the ranger was able to get her into a room where she was safe for the time being. So he turned around to get back to the scene because now knowing that Sykes has the kind of weapons she described and he just tried to kill his wife. That meant that the situation has potential to be very tense, uncertain and rapidly evolving and there needs to be an adequate response from law enforcement. They're going to need a lot of bodies. Yeah. And by the way, domestic violence is one of the most dangerous calls a law enforcement officer can respond to. Yeah. I mean, and that's a not one where you know you're going to a suspect who fled the scene in the woods with an AK-47. Right. Exactly. Who also that, kidnapped his wife for four days. Right. That's, that's an intense story. Very intense situation for the cops to have to deal with um, in the dark. So park rangers located Sykes' white van. He had actually gone deeper into the park down a road where there was no exit. So dude went down a dead end. And they ordered him to come out with the, with the PA on their vehicles. And when they did that, bullets started whizzing above their heads. Sykes kept firing sporadically, even telling the rangers, I often want you guys to kill me or come and get me with all kinds of expletives. 
There were also units from Miami-Dade law enforcement who responded, and they took over negotiations. And Sykes eventually surrendered after more than an hour of negotiations. So Sykes admitted to having the AK-47. Duh. But anyway, (laughs) he he did admit to that. And uh, he also said admitted to having approximately 60 rounds of ammo. And he admitted to firing at park rangers. Again, duh. And it sounds like he fired about 50 rounds. So I wonder if he surrendered because he was almost out of ammo. I don't know. Yeah, by the way, that's a lot of rounds downrange. Yeah. By the way, no one, including Sykes, was shot or injured, actually, during that standoff um, and shooting, which is good. So Sykes Mm -hmm. was taken into custody, and he faced charges of attempting to commit murder or manslaughter of an officer of the United States, which is 18 U.S.C. 1114. And he was charged with discharging a firearm in the furtherance of a crime of violence, which is 18 U.S.C. 924C, in case people want to go look that up. And now Sykes was booked and held at the Miami Federal Corrections Facility. So I feel like there could have been some other charges here. What are your thoughts? Besides disorderly conduct, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's so uh, it sounds party. like there's some <laughs> yes it sounds like there's some domestic violence going on exactly yeah yeah attempted homicide apparently or but i know it's um um didn't necessarily happen in somebody's presence but there sounded to me like there might have been some serious bodily injury not not when if you could if you could show the dragging down the road or dragging into the woods it, i mean it sounds like you know, with a good interview and a lethality assessment, and I, I just it it almost seems like you could get to kidnapping, just on the federal side, not even with the four days right. before that. Right, right, exactly. Well, the Department of Justice put out a press release published on March thirtieth, and besides describing the shooting at officers from the affidavit, they also said it is alleged that Sykes has been involved in an altercation. They refer to it at the park earlier that day and that law enforcement officers were responding to a call reporting the alleged incident. And they don't say violent incident here, but it goes on to mention that there were observed scrapes and marks on the face of Sykes' alleged victim. Okay, so Department of Justice did acknowledge there was a victim who was assaulted and had sustained injuries, but no charges. Hmm. So prosecutors don't always charge for every crime committed in a single case. And in this case, they only charged Sykes, you know, with the attempted murder of the federal officers. He was facing 10 to 20 years in prison for just that charge. And I can't say for sure why the federal prosecutor didn't want to charge Sykes for assault on this victim. But I was told at the time that she was considered an unreliable witness. And is that based on her previous history or... If a victim or witness recants their statement or refuses to testify, it it could make it pretty hard to prove a case, but it's not impossible. So, for example, that's very common in domestic violence cases and sexual assault cases. Yes. So if the victim's statement's the only key piece of evidence, then the prosecutor is going to have a tough decision to make on whether other evidence like doctor's reports or, you know, injuries or witness statements um, or the physical injuries that can corroborate the victim's statements, for example. But 
In this case, so Everglades National Park is under what's called concurrent jurisdiction for law enforcement. So in concurrent jurisdiction, the National Park Service and the state jointly exercise equal law enforcement authority. So basically, the county and state there can enforce all the laws within Everglades National Park and Everglades can enforce all the laws of the uh, Everglades National Park. So generally speaking, most of the laws that apply to victims of domestic violence come from state laws. For example, laws that deal with uh, protection orders, crimes of violence, with intimate partners, and the state's domestic violence laws often come with a little more hefty penalties, like uh, an offender losing the right to possess firearms, for example, comes from states. So it's just And firearms hard. laws usually come from states, too. So that's why it's, it is better, if you can, to get those charges through the state, and, and maybe not necessarily federally. But some parks are under what's exclusive federal jurisdiction, meaning like Yellowstone, Yosemite, Glacier, and some others. And every crime is a federal crime, so they have to use federal statutes. And they're not necessarily the same as most state domestic violence laws. And in this case, they did refer the domestic assault to Miami-Dade County. But remember, they had just arrested Sykes for assault with a deadly weapon in Miami-Dade County, and Christie bailed him out. So now the state didn't want to charge him in this case. And I mean, I kind of understand that. Why would they bother? But in this case, Christie was extremely afraid of Sykes. After being dropped off by the ranger at the hotel, she fled. So when investigators went to interview her the next day, she was gone and it was hard to contact her. In the case of Miami-Dade County, where Sykes was arrested just previously, she ended up filing something that Florida has called a waiver of prosecution, meaning it's an affidavit signed and notarized by the alleged victim indicating a desire not to press charges. And that's specifically a state thing, right? That's you see that with Florida, some other states, but that just that was specifically with the state charges. Yeah, that was yeah. So with Miami-Dade County, she signed that uh, waiver of prosecution because she's just basically saying, "Hey, I don't want to press charges. Let him get out." And that's something that they allow in Florida. And there are some other states that have this waiver, but it's basically, uh, I think a form of witness tampering. They I mean, they don't have that as, as a law in their state, but she was talked into signing that waiver of prosecution. She was getting called and threatened to do that. She was contacted by Sykes attorney to sign that agreement, which apparently is allowed within the state of Florida. And she was, that's crazy. Re- yeah. Repeated jailhouse calls by Sykes every day. And also, hmm. when I was trying to get information on this waiver prosecution thing, the websites that will pop up are defense attorney websites. So they're like, hey, have you been accused of domestic violence? Have your person sign this waiver? of pro-? You know, they don't exactly say those words, but they're all defense, uh, defense attorney websites. It's weird. Oh, that's slick for them. Very slick. Yeah, we don't have that in the federal system. No, it's the United States versus the suspect. Right. And sometimes a victim 
wants to recant, but if we have enough evidence, we're going to continue those charges, whether or not she's going to be a witness in her case or not. Yeah, and in my experience, you know, prosecutors are pretty eager to to make sure that what they're doing is right for the victim. But sometimes victims aren't ready to go to trial. And, and there's ways to work with that case, you know, without forcing them to go through that again. Right. Well, in this case, though, um, because of fear, she bails out Sykes, you know, which is very typical of domestic violence victims. She fears what's going to happen when he does get out. And, you know, most likely he probably would have gotten out without serving much time or he'd have been out on bail anyway. Back to the fact that she was not considered a victim in any charges brought federally from the Everglades violent assault. Christy did not make herself very available for interviews. In fact, you know, she fled. I know they were able to reach her at some point, but then she took off by car out of state. And then the only person she would speak with besides her offender and his lawyer was a National Park Service victim specialist. And that victim specialist tried very hard to get her resources and help. And Christy was actually very desperate and willing to get some of those resources offered to her. But, you know, that victim specialist is, you know, the other side of the country. So um, she tried connecting her with the Miami-Dade County Victim Assistance. And they weren't interested in helping her because she essentially dropped the charges previously. And she was known to be involved in drugs and alcohol. So what? Unfortunately, it, that makes it hard to be considered a credible witness. And a lot of times, abusers yeah. want to yeah, keep their victims dependent on drugs and alcohol. Or victims themselves learn to just self-medicate and they use drugs and alcohol just to function and get through and deal with the pain. And by the way, Christy previously held a very professional job in the state and she was the breadwinner for the couple. Well, and, you know, regardless of economic status or drug or alcohol use or any of those things, like nobody deserves to have that happen to them. No. And, you know, and our goal is always to, to, to do what we can to, even if we can't make it right, is like give somebody tools to get out. To get out and to be safe. I mean, this is yeah. a crime that, that happens absolutely everywhere. And and out of all the people crimes I've responded to, domestic violence it's is one of the most common and obviously sexual assault is the other one. But abusers and victims travel like everyone else. And if someone's getting the crap beat out of them at home, traveling to a national park or anywhere on vacation is not gonna make it better, the same. Nope. So we have in Yellowstone and other places in the park service, we have what we refer to as Rolling domestic calls, meaning someone sees something and reports it, but then the incident, the people involved have left the scene and now they're going down the road in the park and we do what we can to find them and investigate the report. But a lot of times by the time we get there, it's very hard to get the true story. Although there are tools that law enforcement can utilize, but it requires that they actually get training and understanding in dynamics of these crimes like domestic violence so i have kind of a funny story so there okay was a call there was a call for a rolling domestic <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's not funny for most people 
I'll, I'll get to the funny part or funny strange part, but there was a call for a rolling domestic in a pullout in Yellowstone in what's called the Fountain Flats area. So some visitors had seen a woman jump out of a moving car, which was slow moving because it was going into a pullout. And then the male driver bails out, tackles the female in the dirt. She said he was threatening her and was hitting her in the car. So she was trying to get away from him. He said he tackled her because she was running straight into a herd of bison, which she was. So <laughs> she was heading up a hill straight for a herd of bison. Several people. How did around. that end up? Well, he, he got her tackled. So we got him to the ranger station and we <laughs> sorted it out. But only in wild places will you hear a story like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's got to be a new one as far as excuses go. Right. Yeah. No, I was trying to keep her from running into the herd of bison, which she was. And she's like, you know, I was running for my <laughs> life. She was taking her chances with the bison, I guess. But you know, something's wrong if you have to take your chance with the bison because your husband's that scary. Yeah. Have you seen? Uh, those the videos that are out about people touching the bison in the park and there was one where this gal was right in the middle of this herd and this bison ran over to just stomp her and everybody's hollering play dead play dead have you seen that one she's in this big meadow (laughs) and people are screaming so she plays dead and I'm surprised it worked the bison actually left her alone I mean I I, that's you know that's the advice you give to people when you you know, when a bear's charging. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll, um, I'll have to look the video up. I wouldn't count on that. You know, if you find yourself, I don't know what you do. You don't get near the bison in the first place. Yeah. You don't outrun them. So yeah, you just, you don't know selfies with the right. fluffy cows yeah, just, just, and then you're good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so back to Everglades, uh, by not having her as a victim of a federally charged crime, she just was not afforded her federal victim's rights. And some of the rights she just was not afforded was the right to notice and notice of the case, notice of any court proceedings and the right to confer with the prosecutor. So she should have been entered into what's called the victim notification system. So she would know if Sykes was getting released, etc. cetera. Um, and in this case, she actually got all of her information because Sykes, again, was calling her every day from the federal jail. He was the yeah. One, yeah, he was the one who told her about his detention hearing or anything else, which is how we in the victim assistance uh, program heard about the hearing. Cuter. Uh, that's all you get to do from prison. Hey, just go use the phone all day, every day. So. I firmly believe that's why she made herself unavailable to the officials because he had already gotten to her again in the federal system. That's witness tampering, but she was not considered a witness and the AUSA did not consider her a reliable witness. So what again, even if he was charged with just a misdemeanor assault charge and they could have dropped it again anyway, she would have been afforded her legal rights as a federal victim of crime. So she must most definitely I would, a federal victim. I would love to have uh, listened to those jail phone calls. Well, I asked the investigator, can you please talk to the AUSA and get those jail phone calls? But I never heard anything back. And I guess they didn't care because since she wasn't going to be considered a victim or witness. But I thought, well, maybe if they heard that, were there any threats? I don't know. Well, 
then they could have added some charges. I don't know. It was it was a little aggravating on our end. On June 16th, 2021, just two and a half months after he was arrested after this standoff, AK-47 shooting at Rangers, assault your wife, Drew Sykes died in the Miami Federal Detention Center. And according to the Miami Herald, it was believed that Sykes may have been high on drugs and threatened to slug a correctional officer before being pepper sprayed and then ran directly into a concrete wall, which this impact most likely causes death from a head injury. And this information apparently came from sources familiar with the incident at the federal lockup facility, as it was referred to in the Miami Herald. So two sources told the wow. Miami Herald, so two sources told the Miami Herald that Sykes was outside his cell that afternoon. Sykes confronted the correctional officer with his fists raised, and then an FDC, I guess Federal Detention Center nurse, tried to intervene and bring him back to his cell. The sources said, but Sykes threatened the correctional officer again, and that's when the guard pepper sprayed him. So Sykes ran off wildly toward the stairwell on the seventh floor of the FDC tower and smashed into the concrete wall. He was taken to Jackson Memorial Hospital, where he died at the age of 37. That's quite the end to quite a 37. That's quite the end to uh, quite the story. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to respond to that um, ending there. I, I mean, I, the victim never got justice. I Also, there's always still this attachment. He was her husband. Um, like it or not, no matter how abusive he was, sometimes, which is typical of domestic violence victims, they still have that attachment and this, you know, love for them, I guess. But uh, she probably had a very hard time processing that. And she didn't, she didn't also didn't find out from the detention center. She had to find out that information from his defense attorney. Well, and Tara said, you said you were going to talk a little bit about why people recant or bail out their abuser. Well, so there's dependency on the abuser for their survival a lot of times. So isolation. They've been isolated from their friends and family. They don't have any access to money. They feel like they're worthless because they've been abused verbally and emotionally. And then they their religious beliefs, a lot of times, they they just don't think divorces would be allowed in that situation. And they may be worried about losing their children. And here's one that's interesting. They, they have a distrust of law enforcement because they've called law enforcement before. And either law enforcement didn't do anything or they arrested both of them or um, it got worse when they called law enforcement. And so they may have been told that if they leave, they will die as well. So, so basically that fear factor. And victims have the best handle on their safety, like, these are among the many reasons why they either choose to stay in abusive relationships or just feel they're unable to leave. So, you know, the devil, you know, um, knowing where the offender is, is sometimes better than not knowing. And uh, this is where the stalking comes in, you know, intimate, intimate partner stalking. Well, and I think we talk about domestic violence a lot of times and we really just focus on the actual physical violence, but really that that power and control dynamic is is kind of the the part of the iceberg that we can't see and the physical violence is just the tip that's above the water and 
So when you talk about somebody who uses isolation or minimizes what they do or blames you for everything or threatens suicide or threatens to use your children against you or, you know, belittles you and intimidates you, threatens you, keeps your money um, or prevents you from getting access to a job or isolates you from your family and friends. Those are, those are forms of domestic violence that aren't physical violence. And sometimes people don't recognize it in their own relationship or, you know, we, we miss that when we're looking at the domestic violence incident, we, we miss that whole picture. Yeah. It's, it's a form of, uh, that's what they call coercive control, but here's a, a not so fun fact. It takes a domestic violence victim an average of seven times to leave before successfully leaving or being killed. And here's another not so fun fact. The number one cause of death of a pregnant woman in this country is homicide. Not high blood pressure, not complications during childbirth, but homicide. And so the most Ugh. dangerous, yeah. And the most dangerous time for a woman in a domestic violence relationship is when she attempts to leave, which is why I would never force a victim to get a protection order because sometimes that is the trigger that causes the ultimate violence and that causes the offender to just lose it. So victims, it, it is a good tool. It's something to consider. And I'm not saying don't do that, but victims have to work with a professional victim assistance provider and figure out a safety plan when they're doing this. Also, I don't force people to get protection orders because of the Dixie Chicks song, Earl Had to Die. So the lyrics start out saying, well, she finally got the nerve to file for divorce. She let the law take it from there. But Earl walked right through that restraining order and put her in intensive care. And then it goes on to say, and it didn't take him long to decide that Earl had to die. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Goodbye, Earl. You, <laughs> I you remember more delay. of the lyrics than I do. <laughs> well, I wrote them down. I have them written down. <laughs> oh, you okay? See, how prepared you are. Right, right. Says for okay. All right, but we're not advocating someone kill their abuser. I just we both just definitely really not like that song. We just like that song. Um, but I, but those words are very um, right on. I mean, but the point is. Protection orders don't necessarily physically provide that protection. They they really are a good tool for law enforcement and the court uh, to be able to arrest if the offender violates it. And a victim kind of has to weigh whether or not, you know, hey, that's probably a misdemeanor charge at best versus if I do that, it might be worse for me. But when Christy bailed out Sykes in the Miami-Dade County jail, he was released with a stay away order similar to a protection order from the judge. So that didn't stop him. That didn't prevent him from doing anything. So see what I mean? Yep. No, it's only as good as the paper it's written on or the enforcement behind it. Right. Since we're talking about domestic violence, I feel like it's also important to say if you hear what we're describing and it sounds like a relationship that that you recognize, whether it's in yourself or somebody else, there is help. Um, one of the just easy national hotlines, since we know people are all over the country, is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And if you're somebody who can't, you know, have an internet search in your phone history 
or needs to have an unrecognizable phone number or text message, um, you can always contact the domestic violence hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233, or you can text START, the word START, to 88788. And just remember to delete any call or text histories if you're not sure that your, you know, your phone use is going to be monitored. But there is help out there. All right. So, well, that's that's it for this case. But it, I feel like any time I'm thinking about or talking about domestic violence, I mean, it really kind of weighs heavy on my brain. And I'd kind of like to, I don't know, redirect <laughs> uh, my brain and maybe leave the podcast with redirecting everybody's brain so it's not such a bummer after you after you turn this off. <laughs> All right, let's redirect. Okay, so something that I think is kind of fun is to go on Yelp and look at the one star reviews for national parks and they're kind of funny. So since we've been talking about Everglades, we'll look at Everglades to start. So someone, somebody named John H. says, we have never seen so many mosquitoes in our lives. I guess that's the Everglades. I don't recommend bringing children here either. They may get carried away by the bugs. And then Fraser, <laughs> yeah, some guy named Fraser says, once you've seen a few trees and lots of grass, it's all very samey, samey. <laughs> he sounds like a vacation with that guy. Um, but here's one that I like. Definitely going to return to that place. Right. Well, I don't think I want to take any trips with that guy. Um, so here's one from Big Bend National Park. Get away from Everglades for one second. This guy says, his name is Coven, C-O-V-E-N. Anyway, he says, they didn't expect to get any electricity for at least half a week. Have you ever camped with a woman for half a week where there is no available warm water running anywhere? They start to stink and complain. And to top it off, we never got to see any bears or mountain lions. You'd think with a park that size and such low populations of those critters, they could train them to hang out a hundred yards or so from the trail. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently our government is too incompetent awesome. to even pull off some basic services. I didn't know getting a mountain lion to come around <laughs> your campsite was considered a basic service of the government. That is a basic service. Yeah. So I, I mean, guess, what, what is the entrance fee for? Well, it, if you're paying an interest fee, I guess you get to have a mountain lion in your campsite. <laughs> according to, to Coven. A trained mountain lion. A, a trained mountain lion, according to Coven. <laughs> um, well, thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Oh and uh, thanks, Abby, again for joining us for another show. Until then, happy trails and watch out for the company you keep. Hey, before you go, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit our website at www.crimeoffthegrid.com and send us a story suggestion or leave a comment at crimeoffthegrid at gmail.com.